Today we hear from Luke's Gospel in its long form a total of three different parables that all focus around one aspect. But what is interesting is at the end of that parable, Jesus illustrates and talks and Luke writes about how the Pharisees and Sadducees become uncomfortable. So to really help us understand that, I want us to look these parables through simply through the lens of our humanity first before we take apart and really dive deep into these passages to see what really Jesus is talking about. Because we first need to understand what is making the Pharisees and Sadducees uncomfortable about all three parables. But today I'm just going to focus on the first two. So we first hear about the lost sheep. This shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one goes off and goes astray. Who in their right mind would leave 99 to go find the one? If we look at it very simply in a math perspective, and kind of balancing out the pros and cons about it, most of the time, you should stay with the 99 and forget about the one. You may try your best to go out to search for that one if it's not going to be too difficult, if it's not going to be too challenging. Maybe they just ran off to a little distance and you can just go wrangle them back and bring them back into the fold. But what is interesting and very subtle about this passage is how it's set up. Because to understand how it's set up, we must understand the background behind it. Because for shepherds, the sheep that he cares for is not just his own sheep, but the sheep of his village, the sheep of his neighbors. So when one goes off, it's not just going off into a far distant pasture. The pasture that the sheep are in may be cover about an acre worth of land. And on the outskirts of that acre of land are hills, are crevices, are things in which a sheep could get killed, could get injured, could get hurt because of the natural terrain of the Middle East. Okay? We then move to the second, second parable, the lost coin. This woman is living in a house 18 feet across. Not in a nice house where we're in, where it's a nice marble floor, where it's a wooden floor, but it's a dirt floor Barely lit, no windows, and the floor is covered with brush, with trees. And so to really go find one silver coin, a dirachma, which is equivalent to our currency today as a penny, who would really spend their time in searching for one penny? If I ask you even now to look at your pockets, how many of us are even carrying pennies anymore? But yet for this woman, this one penny meant the world to her. It's so important to her that she tosses up her whole house to find this one penny. Most of us, if we lose a penny, it's like, okay, I lost a penny. I can move on with my life. I'm not gonna toss up my whole house to find a penny. I'm not going to go digging under my, you know, drawers, under my um, bed, 
under my nightstand to go find that one penny. I'll just write it off as a loss. So that's the human eye, and if we look at it very humanly, there's, none of these parables make sense. That's the beginning of why the Pharisees and Sadducees were uncomfortable by it. But the other layer that begins to take place is what the meanings of the parables begin to teach us. So let us begin to look deeply into the parable of the lost sheep. Sheep, like any other animals, are very mobile, sense-driven, appetite-driven. They're led and driven by those senses, the appetite. So maybe in the pastures it's something not pleasant, they're going to move on. If they feel drawn towards something, they're going to go. Nothing's stopping them from going anywhere. So they choose for themselves to wander, to be driven by those mobility, by appetite, by our senses, and not knowing what lies ahead in front of them. Because they can't see what's in front of them. Because what they see and what they're driven by dictates what is in front of them. If it's the food, they're driven by food, so that's all they see in front of them. How to get to greener pastures, how to get to the better grass. If it's just the senses, simply finding the best place, the most comfortable place to be, to lay around, to walk around. So they don't know what's going to be best, what's going to lie in front of them. The next thing we hear, I'm going to move us to the first, our first reading from Exodus. Because it's very similar to our very life. We see the Israelites complaining, building a golden calf, and worshiping that golden calf. For them, as the people, the chosen people, they were free from slavery. They were, they were given food and shelter before while they were slaves. But yet now they were given the freedom. And then we see them in that freedom wander for 40 years. I had a place to stay. I had food before when I was a slave. I'm free now. And yet I wander the desert for 40 years. Then this God says, I will feed you and give you food from above, from the heavens, but only a day's worth of food. I was a slave. I had plenty to eat, to do what I want. Just like the sheep. We're oriented our lives towards our appetites, our own desires, our own wants. We're driven and directed by that. And so what, what happens? We begin to put those appetites as our idols. And we begin to worship those idols. Whether that's the golden calf of power, the golden calf of power, prestige, the golden calf of self. We set that golden idol in front of us. But yet in all of that, just like the lost sheep, we want more. We're not satisfied and content with what's in front of us. If I have a dollar, now I want five dollars. If I have a hundred dollars, I want a thousand dollars. When are we ever going to be content with power, prestige, with pleasure? 
We always are going to want more when we're driven by our appetites, by our senses. Because at the end of the day, none of that truly makes sense. None of that truly brings us what we're looking for. We enter, therefore, into this vicious cycle of wanting more and more and more. To even simply put it, the millionaires that walk this world are still wanting and needing more. They're millionaires. They have all the money in the world, but they still want more. So what does all these readings truly say, and why are the Pharisees uncomfortable? They're uncomfortable because the underlayer and what Jesus is teaching his disciples is speaking about what they're missing in life and what they're truly yearning from within. What they're yearning and seeking and missing in their life is a God who loves them, a God who wants to be in right relationship with a God who seeks us every day and every moment of our life. So therefore, for the Pharisees and Sadducees, to have a God who is willing and seeking out his people, it must therefore not be a God. Why does God need us? Why did God even create us? Those were the questions that were running through the Pharisees and Sadducees' mind. God created us simply to know, to love, and to serve God in this life and in the life to come. Why, therefore, if God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, why would he need to create humanity? Why does he need human beings? He needs us and created us so we can freely choose to love him, to respond to his love, embody and enact that love every day and every moment of our life. That's why they were uncomfortable. Because their image of God is a higher de deity, a higher being, who they're going to just appease, who just doing the checklist things will keep God out of my life. Because God won't toy with me. Because God won't mess with my life. God won't do anything to me because I've done everything he asked. But instead, we lose sight of loving him. We lose sight of truly responding to him. And we lose sight of why we were created. We were created to love, to be love, and out of love. And so our whole life is seeking that love. Augustine writes in his book, The Confession, My heart is restless until it rests in thee. A man who lived in this world and followed all the things that the world teaches was driven by his senses, still couldn't find love, still couldn't find purpose and meaning. But it wasn't until he truly gave himself over to God did he truly find peace, did he truly find joy, did he truly find happiness. And so when we get to the lost coin, it breaks it down even more. Because what are we as human beings? We don't have value if we look at it. We're all broken. We're all sinners. We don't love God the way he intends and wants us to love him. And instead, we build a golden calf of idols, worshiping a false god, 
having this false image and perception of God. So there is no value. So if we look at it from our human perspective, why would God therefore even need us, even want us, even want to love us? If we look at it from our plain relationships with each other, if someone betrays you, someone turns their back against you, someone stabs you in the back, how many of us honestly and truly want to love them anymore? How many of us are still willing to continue a relationship with them? It's easy for us to say, I'm done. They're, write them off out of my life. It's very much like that lost coin. That penny has no value to us in our life. But what Jesus is speaking to us today is we have value. We have worth in his eyes. No matter how far we turn away, no matter how far we sin, he still loves us and he wants us to turn to him. He loves us, but he's not going to force his love on us. We have to freely choose and accept and respond to that love. So that coin that is lost illustrates for us God will seek and find us in all of our messes. God will be there at every moment. But are we going to turn to him, to choose him in our life? Because, my dear brothers and sisters, we learn today out of all of our readings, God is love. This love is not just a sentimental feeling, but it's a self-sacrificial love, not counting the cost, loving unconditionally without expecting anything in return. That, my dear brothers and sisters, is love. The crucifixion that is hanging over our altar is love. But it doesn't just stop there. Jesus didn't just speak and talk about love. He himself embodied and walked and showed us exactly how to live that love because he shares that love with God the Father and hopes and wants us to participate in that love. And so he leaves us the Eucharist as a memorial of that love. So every time we come to Mass, we come to know how God has loved us. We come to know that through hearing and reading through the scriptures that are proclaimed. Knowing is not just the only thing. We come to the liturgy of the Eucharist where we come to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Word made flesh, the love and body, and we receive the love that He has for us in the Eucharist. That love, therefore, is not meant for us to keep it here within us, to keep it just to us as a community, us as a family of St. Elizabeth and Seton. But it's meant, therefore, to go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. It's meant for us to take that love out into the world, to share it with those around us, to proclaim, to preach of God's love. So my dear brothers and sisters, today we learn about how much God loves us. We learn about how God has made himself present. We learn about our weakness and our frailty when it comes to choosing and responding to God's love. 
the question becomes for us, what are we going to do about it? Now that we know and we are about to come experience that love in the liturgy of the Eucharist, the decision and the choice is now yours. How do you choose to respond to what you know? How do you choose to respond to a God that loves you unconditionally, a God that is seeking you out every day and every moment of your life? Amen.